0: Father under the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen Father Brendan Kilcoyne coming to you with the Brendan Option courtesy of Immaculata Productions If you like the work we do maybe you might form an alliance with that subscribe button get to know it Also visit us on Patreon and throw us a few quid occasionally This is an important moment for us perhaps not for you but it is for us This is our last audio podcast. Didn't Woody Allen make that film Radio Days, the nostalgic look at the golden days of the radio? Well, Radio Days are over. We're hitting the silver screen. We're going for talking pictures. We've been working towards beginning our visual presentations, and from now on, that's what's going to be happening. Now, we're starting with quite short ones, 10, 15 minutes. Something just to interest you, uh, amuse you, maybe even instruct you. Who knows if you're open to that. And then we'll take it from there. We envisage something more ambitious, a good length podcast with interviews and the whole bit. So that's where it is with us. That's how the form is with us. And those are our plans. This is the end of Radio Days for the Brendan Option. This is our last audio. And what better way to finish our last audio than by looking at that fantastic set of readings that we had today at Mass. Now, in the first reading, you may have noticed that dramatic moment where Cyrus, the Persian, who is actually giving the title by Isaiah of the Anointed of God, even though he's a pagan. Cyrus is the means by which the exiled Jews in Babylon get the opportunity to begin returning to the Holy Land. Now, that was a complicated business because a lot of them had done well in Babylon, even though they arrived under a cloud. A lot of them had done well and didn't want to go back to the hard road ahead of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding their lives in Jerusalem. But it's Cyrus who gives the chosen people the freedom to go back. And it's a marvelously dramatic moment where he says uh, in the edict, The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me over all the kingdoms of the earth. He has ordered me to build him a temple in Jerusalem, in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up. What a wonderful line. Let him go up. Can you imagine the sound of that to a devout Jew, one willing to go back, and face the rigours and the hardship of the rebuilding. Can you imagine such a wonderful moment? It's like Martin Luther King. Free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we're free at last. Let him go up. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about tonight. The going up. Because we have to go up. We have to do some rebuilding. And who's our Cyrus the Persian? I don't know that Michal Martin quite qualifies as Cyrus the Persian, but the indifference bordering on hostility of the secular authorities, uh, particularly with the complete, something very near contempt, indifference bordering on contempt with which religion has been treated in the lockdown. Unusually, I think uniquely in Europe, certainly it's unusual, I was asked lately by a, it's a course I'm doing, an internet course I'm doing, and the Dutch instructor asked me, was this true? We couldn't have religious services. And it was embarrassing to say that it was. You you feel a bit like, a, I don't know, a citizen of Soviet Russia or something. Anyway, I suppose the old thing, Yeats taunt at the new Irish free state of the beggar on horseback, you know? I suppose we had power once and now it's our turn to be walked on for a second time in the history of this country but anyway let's not be bitter because we have been told to go up and how is Cyrus the corkman how is he telling us to go up i put it to you that the situation we're in at the moment is such That it will force us to do what, if we had any bit of dignity, we should have been doing already. It will force us to make decisions. It will force us to accept the new situation. It will force us to begin the demolition and rebuilding that will be a feature of the much smaller but much more vibrant church that is coming. But boy, is it going to be a hard birth. This is a hard birth and the mother is in labor. Let him go up. And then we go to that gospel and the poetry in John is just magnificent. The son of man must be, you hear this? The son of man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The Son of Man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent. And so Jesus is lifted up on the cross in that utterly disgraceful death. A death so disgraceful that we have no conception of how utterly disreputable were the beginnings of the church. I mean seriously disreputable. Because we have retrospectively attached, understandably, great glamour to the early suffering of the church. But let me tell you that there were no angel choirs singing in the background and shafts of light coming down on the unfortunate Christians as they were martyred. The beginnings of the church were beginnings in disgrace and disillusionment and in bowel loosening terror as one ferocious persecution after another was unleashed against the infant church by the roman empire let him go up and so the son of man is raised up because human beings could not do this the best the human beings could do after they had rebuilt the temple was the pharisees they were the best and they were impressive but all the more condemned by jesus because as impressive as they were They made a hymns of it. So God has to go up. Never, never give a man a God's work. How about that? Hmm, I like that. Never give a man a God's work. God himself has to be lifted up. God himself has to go up to do the work that we didn't have the bottle to do. Not simply the Jews, but the human race. And so do we have the appetite for this going up? I don't think we do. Do we have the appetite for the task that now lies ahead of us? For its loneliness, for its stern austerity, for its sombre aspect. I don't think we're up for it. I don't think we're fit. I honestly don't think we're fit. We're in the ditch roaring and we're not fit to get out of it. And I think only God can do this, which is convenient because the whole secret of Christianity lies in letting God do it. It lies in being willing to say to God in our pride, but in humiliation of our pride, in disgrace of our pride, being willing to say to God, we have destroyed your work on earth. Please go up and build the temple. That's what we have to say to God. We're just not up for this. We've dithered for years about the schools and under our nose, really, the culture has won. Look, I'm not doing this... I don't know how many times I have to say this. I'm not doing this to get at teachers, to get at the department, to get at, or indeed to get at the bishops either, or anyone like that. I'm just saying this is the way it has happened. This has gone on for 50 years. 50 years ago, religion teaching at second level was going nowhere in Ireland. 50 years ago. And it's still going nowhere and and that's with the greatest of respect to the exceptions. The exceptions are few and far between from what I hear to be honest. The exceptions aren't aren't a huge number. And so we say to God you go up. Look at the look at the pig's breakfast we've made of this. I mean this was going to be hard anyway. This is leviathan. This is behemoth. This culture and the enormous power of the of the state and its moral confidence. And we ruin our trousers in front of it. I'm sorry. An earthy image, I know. I'm a peasant. What do you expect? We insult our tailors. We banjax our britches in front of this power that is the culture, the media, the state. And sometimes they're almost indistinguishable. I think it's time to just put our hands up and desperately try quickly to cobble together an alternative means of giving religious instruction outside of school. I really do. And that's only one of the things we have to do. Let him go up. A lot of the Jews didn't want to stir. And who could blame them? Apparently a lot of the Irish priests who were educated at the expense of the French and Spanish Austrian crowns uh, during the penal times, didn't want to come back. And who could blame them? Come back to living in a thatched hovel, on the run, no money. Yeah, you could see humanly. You, that takes real faith. That takes real faith. Do we have that faith? Do we have the faith to go up? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I think Cyrus the Persian could wear himself out. But this culture will do the work of Cyrus the Persian, I'm telling you, because it's going to squeeze us like toothpaste out of a tube. It's going to push us because we are increasingly so unwelcome and so alien. Now, it depends on what's the Catholic Church willing to be. Are we, are we willing to be? Because there might be possibly a vacancy going for religious house poodle, you know. Malcolm X once viciously satirised black people who worked in the big house on the plantations. As opposed to the um the ones who worked out in the fields, which was crucifying work in the cotton fields, so the butler and and all all those the footmen and everything who worked in the big house, they completely identified with the master and Malcolm X imitated one of them. he said, "If the master was sick, they wouldn't ask, "What's the matter, massa are you sick?" They'd ask, "What's the matter, massa we sick we sick." There's a vacancy for that. To be the house fenian, the house tig, the house croppy. Yeah, we could suck up to the government and turn up at all the big do's and, uh, you know, sort of come out with what we're expected to come out with and uh, preach what we're expected to preach. And, oh, you know, you don't need me to tell you this. You can see how this would go. What's the matter, massa? We sick? Nah. Well, I'm not against urbanity, but I'm for retaining our unpasteurized nature. It's going to be difficult. It is difficult. You can't disrespect the state either. That's very, that's very bad and could have very bad effects. And yet you have to put your case. So what we're going to need are people. I'm not saying we don't have them. I'm just saying we're going to need them. If we have them, that's fine, isn't it? And if we don't have them, then uh, we better ask God for them. We're going to need people who can, you know, they say a the, uh, good few of the present crop of French bishops can do it. They can hold their own with the with the government, and yet not back an inch. That's a tricky business, because on the one hand, it's easy to be the house finian. On the other hand, it's in a way easy to be the field hand, to be the back alley croppy. To be the desolate, the abandoned, the dispossessed. But it's very difficult to do both. Whoa, is that difficult. Martin Luther King could do it. Probably Malcolm X, if he had lived, would have got better at it. He was very young. I think he was only 40 when he died. And he was already maturing and deepening. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky business. And then we come to the next business because there's you as a Catholic, right? You're there as a Catholic. And you're going to have to be faithful to Christ in the world, in Babylon, right? And yet you have to go up. You have to rebuild the temple. So how do you do this without being, on the one hand, regarded as some sort of reactionary Catholic Neanderthal, or on the other hand, simply becoming you know, again, a tame fenian. How do you do this? Well, I would suggest with the Irish that a key thing is that you don't be too pious. You don't be piocious at all. Piosity is the caricature of piety, as childishness is the caricature of the childlike, which is what we're called to do. Don't be too much of a holy Joe. Wear your religion lightly, but wear it. As you would choose a light suit, but well cut. I think a crucial thing with Irish people is that you portray it very much as your thing. I've my thing, you've yours, you know? And give me some space here. The Irish respect that. The Irish do respect that. I think it's respected in most places, but it's certainly respected by the Irish. It's my thing. As a friend of mine said to me, he was very cool. He was almost too cool to exist. When I went back to finish my studies for the priesthood, I'd been out of the seminary for a few years. He said, I can't imitate the Dublin Four accent, but you you can imagine. Listen, man, whatever your obsession is. So, this is my obsession. This is my thing. It's my eccentricity. So on the one hand, you're clear about what you believe. On the other hand, try to take the edge off it so they don't cut themselves on it straight away. The gospel cuts to the bone. But there's no point starting on people like that from the beginning. You'll just turn them off. A guy I knew once, really nice guy, a priest, he was very, very conscientious. And uh, he had this, you know, this friend, she was she was a woman and, and she was living with a guy she wasn't married to and that kind of thing. And my friend isn't good at this sort of thing. And he, he uh, you know, he said, I have to say something to her and yet I can't. And in the end he got himself so worked up That he turned to her as they were going into uh, Some sort of a family celebration, a dinner And he said y- You know, he said you're, you're going to have to think of the judgement So she blew up and there was an awful row And I don't think she ever spoke to him again Okay <laughs> That's pretty close to Catholic Neanderthal <laughs> Although he's not that But it's easy to criticise It's easy to talk How do you do this? Let me make a suggestion An absolutely sure fire way of doing this with the Irish. Again, maybe with most people. I I don't know about that now, but certainly with the Irish. Keep your sense of humour. Keep your sense of humour. Let's say you're a pioneer and the thing comes up about drinking or whatever. And you say, look, uh, you know, this is just a, it's a a particular thing in my spirituality. And to be honest with you, I have nothing against drinking. For goodness sake, enjoy your drink. Uh, And and forgive me for not joining you, but like, I had five uncles who'd lick it off the road and and I I just like it too much to drink it. You understand. And make a joke of it. Get them to laugh. Get them to laugh and put them at ease. Not so you can trick them, but so that you can be yourself. You're going to have to decide with them that you're not going to try to convert them. Because that's your best chance of converting them. If you follow me. So it is a trick in a way It's a very fair trick Because it's pure Christianity You must respect Their awe-inspiring Granitic free will You cannot take it from them It is guaranteed by God They can damn themselves If they choose And have you watch So you need to get that Into your little head So if you're a devout Catholic and you've decided to convert the world, the first thing I'd say to you is, Oi, bit of respect, Junior. That's a free will you're dealing with. So you have some respect. Don't mess with somebody's mind. You want to testify to Jesus Christ, first and foremost, make it clear that you are a Catholic. You don't need to be a secret agent in that sense. Make it clear that you're a Catholic. Find some way to do it without being threatening, but make it clear. Secondly, make it clear that you absolutely respect their free will, even if you don't agree with them. Thirdly, be clubbable. Jesus Christ has died for these people, so you can't just walk away from them. And you shouldn't walk away from them. Now, if they push you out, that's painful, but it's not, there's nothing you can do about it. But the chances are is they probably won't if you don't judge them. And you have no business judging them anyway. And let's say one of them wants to bring up abortion. You go, look, oh, wow, that's, you know, my feelings on that. That's, that's, that's a huge issue. But like, I don't want to offend you. you. You know where I'm coming from on it. I just really feel everyone should get their shot. Okay, I feel everyone should get their chance at life. I really do. I really do. But look, we leave it there. We go on because you're a very important person in my life. I don't want us to fight. That's your surest chance Of making an impression A positive impression You must respect their freedom Don't be too threatening Go up The temple needs building And you're not going to build it with a chainsaw This is a work for a master craftsman And you must learn your trade Discipleship It is a hard trade The life of the apostle Is the life of the master craftsman or woman Learn your trade And then go up and be lifted up with him. Be lifted up with him. Helpless. Not threatening. Helpless. And if people want to laugh at you, let them laugh at you. Let them laugh at you. Laugh it off. Have a good sense of humour. Cultivate cultivate wit. Cultivate a witty response, even if you have to learn them off. Get people to laugh and pass it off. But give the impression, not a deceitful one, but a true impression, of warmth of good humour and good cheer, and love, go up and build the temple, for it is in ruins, and the wild dogs are picking their way through the blocks of stone, and in in its courts we once played, in God's house. Go up and rebuild it. This business of Phariseism it comes in very easily. I think it's Molière, the French playwright, has a play Tartuffe. He's a character Tartuffe. Tartuffe is a jansenist. Tartuffe is a self-righteous judge of of every. He's wrapped up in his own election, his own righteousness. Whatever you do, do not give that impression. You will bring the faith into such disrepute. Quite sure, I've done it myself in the past. God forgive me. And Irish people, above all, hate it. They hate to be made feel little because we were made feel little so often in the past. And there is, you can say what you like, there is an ancestral memory of that. You are dealing with mighty forces and powers. You are dealing with free wills. You must be an urbane courtier and yet hold your own. You know Talleyrand, the famous French foreign minister, famous for changing sides. He was actually a bishop. Got rid of that for to keep his his neck during the revolution, and he, he, he changed sides as often. He served Napoleon. He served Louis the Eighteenth. He or he'd serve whoever was there. He was a, a brilliant man, a brilliant foreign minister. But Napoleon lost the head of him, probably with good reason, in the sense that Talleyrand was almost almost certainly betraying him at the time, and he abused him highly and walked out in a rage. And Talleyrand's own only comment was to look around at the stricken company in the drawing room and shook his head sadly and said, how sad it is that so great a man should have such terrible manners. So we must have the manners to deal with Cyrus the Persian. We must have the manners and yet we must have the grit, the belly, the bottle to go up and build the temple with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. To build the new Irish church. Much smaller, as Nehemiah's temple was certainly a more modest affair than, than uh, Solomon's had been, and uh, certainly than Herod's was to be. But still, his temple. Where the ashes on Good Friday. Again, be good-humoured about it. Make a joke about it. I remember years ago being slagged mercilessly by friends who weren't believers when they saw in the Irish Times a picture. Um, in the days when the Irish Times still carried such pictures of somebody receiving the blessing of throats on St. Blaise's Day, they, my friends weren't Catholic, and they were. They, they found this absolutely hilarious and made all sorts of ribald jokes about it. Back I laughed. You know what are you going to do? You get over yourself. Don't get your lingerie in a knot over every every silly joke. It was, you know it wasn't blasphemy. The jokes were in mildly questionable taste, but get over yourself. You're going to have a thick you're going to have to have a thick skin and an urbane wit to deal with all of this. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what will really prevent your being lifted up with Christ as the serpent was lifted up, the brazen serpent by Moses. I'll tell you what will prevent you joining Christ on the cross, what will prevent you going up, what will prevent you giving effective witness. It will be an impression of inhumanity on your part. Inhumanity on your part. I really think that Catholics who are warm and good-humoured and witty and who would go the extra mile for you and do you a turn, and I've met so many of them, they tend to be so well got among those of no any faith and none. And that's what we have to aim at. In other words, we have, we have to aim at metanoia, at the conversion of our hearts to the true faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not Phariseeism, not Tartuffe. And this is what lies ahead. We have to negotiate very carefully because we are no longer the hunter, my friend. We are prey. And prey learns to be silent a great deal, to move carefully and to blend in. Now, I can hear you say back to me, that is Uncle Tom Catholicism. Blend in. Make yourself agreeable. Listen to me. I'm not saying abandon your faith. I'm not saying don't give witness to your faith. I'm saying don't make yourself a pill so rough and so bitter that the world could not swallow it even if it were minded to so do. There will be no point in your witnessing because you will do nothing but harm to the church. Remember Francis de Salle. And honestly, I think I think de Salle is just a wonderful example here. I don't know if you know much about de Salle. He was 16th century saint, lived into the 17th century, I think. He was Bishop of Geneva, which was a very interesting appointment, since Geneva, as you know, was the stronghold of John Calvin, who not without difficulty had achieved complete ascendancy over Geneva. And then I I think Calvin was dead by the time he became bishop, if I'm not mistaken. And his successor, Theodore Beza, was the religious leader in Geneva at the time. de Salle was the most wonderful man. He ended up living in nearby Annecy, and he's buried there. Although I think his, his heart is buried in Lyon. I think he died in Lyon. He ended up living there because he he couldn't safely go into Geneva. And I don't think he ever got to do that. I think, think actually, in fairness, he did visit Beza once, all right, I think. And apparently Beza listened to him very carefully. Uh, He printed leaflets. He went around. He visited his diocese as best he could. He engaged Calvinists in conversation. And he had a huge effect on them. He was so winsome, he was so warm and sincere. He came of an aristocratic family, the de the, the Salle family, who were wealthy and well-born, and uh, he had the manners of an aristocrat and could move in all circles. But de could talk to the poorest carter or drover and get on a bomb with him. And it was, it was his goodness and warmth and sweetness and kindness As well as, you know, the power of his intellect that won people over. But as Newman often observes this, people are not in the end won over by arguments. They are won over by heart, by love, by example, by a life of love. That is what wins people over. So if you're going to get thick, as we say in Ireland, if you're going to get up on your high horse because somebody makes a joke about the faith, Ireland, for goodness sake... Tell a better one. That's how you deal with that. And make it clear that you are somebody capable of friendship, even if somebody doesn't share your faith or beliefs. You are capable of love. That's what will win people over. And so on this, my last audio broadcast, I say a number of things to you. Number one, God is telling you to go up. Number two, even if you don't want to go up, the situation, Cyrus the Persian, the state... The media, the whole secular society, Babylon, will force you out and up. So will you go with a good grace? Will you take the king's shilling? Or will you go in chains? I mean, how do we do this? The easy way or the hard way? One way or another, you no longer belong in Babylon. And the only way to stay in Babylon and belong is to, is to abandon the Lord. You must go up. And so how do you do it? You do it with love, you do it with wit, you do it with kindness. But these must be based in prayer and sacrifice. You do it by being an iron hand and a velvet glove. You must be capable of suffering if you are to be lifted up with the Lord. But suffering embitters a lesser spirit. As Yeats put it beautifully, too long a sacrifice makes a stone of the heart. Easter 1916, the poem. You must ask God to give you a heart of flesh. Take away your heart of stone. Give you a heart of flesh. And when people see your soft, warm, loving Christian heart, they may very well be one for Christ. You maximize the potential for doing that. God bless you in your building. God bless the work. It's not easy for any of us. None of us were trained for this. In fairness... None of us could have been trained for this exactly. We have missed opportunities. We should be in better shape doing this and we're not. And it's our own fault. I'm not picking on anyone to blame. It's my fault. And with respect, it's your fault. We are where we are. He must take us as he finds us. We don't have the strength or the faith to do this on our own. So we have to actually turn to God and ask God, you go up and bring us with you you go up on the cross and bring us with you god bless you as you go up and god keep you when you get there there's work to be done in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen